Here's an impact from the pandemic you might not have heard about. Fewer twins. New data released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention this week show that twin births fell 7% between 2019 and 2020, compared to an only 3% decline in single births, and far higher than the 2% or so decline in twin births each year since 2014. The likely reason? Many in vitro fertilization procedures, which result in higher rates of twin births, were canceled in the early months of the pandemic. Twin births increased slightly from 2020 to 2021 by about 1,700, though that's still an overall decrease of about 6,000 from 2019. This is Pulse Check. I'm Megan Messerly. Democrats on the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis on Friday released a 200-page final report examining how the country's structural vulnerabilities, leadership failings, and misinformation challenged the country's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. In the report, the committee detailed 30 recommendations to help the country prepare for a future pandemic, including replenishing the strategic national stockpile, passing legislation on long COVID, and enacting universal paid sick and family leave. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker wants to use the next farm bill to improve Americans' eating habits. Booker said at the Milken Future of Health Summit that he wants to reform SNAP, the federal government's food stamp program, to incentivize Americans to buy more nutritious food, reform farm subsidies to support consumption habits that align with federal nutrition guidelines, and run trials of new nutrition programs on military bases and in federal prisons. Booker's recommendations come as the U.S. continues to grapple with the impact of unhealthy food on chronic disease and costly medical bills. And joining me now is Lauren Gardner, who has been reporting on the latest developments on the drug Humira. How are you doing, Lauren? Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Humira is an anti-inflammatory drug that's used to treat conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's disease. Now, Humira has been one of the top-selling medications in the U.S. for years. How has it maintained its market share for so long? So Humira was initially approved by the FDA in 2002 and hit the market in 2003. And when it comes to medications like Humira, Humira is a biologic. And a biologic is a drug that's derived from living organisms, So they're a little more complex. They tend to be a lot more expensive than your run-of-the-mill pill that you might pick up at the pharmacy. And they also get, generally speaking, get 12 years of patent exclusivity. So no other competition on the market. What happened in the intervening time is that the company that makes Humira, AbbVie, obtained patents for other uses for the drug, you know, changes to how it was administered. Situations like that that allowed it to extend its period of exclusivity for a a significant period of time. This practice has been criticized by various stakeholders and especially by Democrats on the House Oversight Committee. They released a big report on it last year and they call this patent thickets. But it's legal and has led us up to kind of where we are. So also as part of that, AbbVie reached settlements with several biosimilar makers with respect to when those manufacturers could bring their biologics that could compete with Humira online. Those competitors are known as biosimilars. So it's like a generic 
in concept, but when you make a drug from a living organism, it's not really something you can carbon copy like a molecule, like, like you can chemically speaking. That's why they're called biosimilars. So now what we're seeing is a number of biosimilar makers have their dates to begin rolling out their products beginning next year. So we're going to see this kind of rolling debut in the market of different biosimilars that can now officially compete with Humira. So why this is such a big deal is because it's been such a long time that Humira has been on the market without any competition. It's an anti-inflammatory that's one of, if not the top selling drug in the United States. There's several different diseases that it treats, but besides insulin, there's no real precedent when it comes to the pharmacy benefit for the biosimilars besides insulin that have been available now have been doctor administered. So they're covered under medical benefits of insurance plans. So now that we're going to see competitors to Humira enter the market, it's a big deal for the biosimilar industry because this is kind of a precedent setting moment for how the prescription drug benefits of insurance plans is going to deal with figuring out how these are going to be priced compared to the brand name drug, which will have an effect on patient uptake. We'll be right back. So I'm wondering, how might things change as biosimilars enter the domestic market? That's a great question. So looking overseas in Europe, we're already seeing costs come down in this anti-inflammatory space. Biosimilars have been competing over there now for about four years. The expectation is that there's going to be cost savings seen here in the U.S. too. The big question mark that I've gotten from many people I've talked to about this issue is just how quickly those savings are going to be realized. Many people I spoke to are just not expecting to have a good handle on how this domestic market shakes out until 2024 and, and even beyond. So as of now, there are three major pharmacy benefit managers, and there are these middlemen companies that help insurance plans you know, figure out what prescription drugs they're going to cover. And they negotiate between drug makers and plan sponsors, employers, Medicare, what have you, to figure out what they're going to cover and what's going to be on their lists of covered drugs known as formularies. So what we're starting to see is some of the major... PBMs are beginning to announce, hey, this is how we're expecting to deal with biosimilars starting next year. So one of those PBMs, OptumRx, they've said that they are going to continue to cover Humira on their formulary next year, but that they're also going to add up to three biosimilars, but they're all going to be in the same position as the brand name drug. So what that means is some of the biosimilars will get a level of coverage, but they're also competing head-to-head with Humira. And then another PBM, Express Scripts, they have said that they plan to cover biosimilars as preferred options on some of their largest formularies. There's no other details beyond that, but generally when a PBM quote-unquote prefers a generic or a biosimilar, that means that what they want to see is customers or patients, you know, be steered towards that drug because in the end, that's where the cost savings are. It's the lower cost option. So what this does is it creates a tension where PBMs have to figure out how are they going to list these new options on their formularies and how are they going to be priced 
compared to Humera, the brand name that's been out there for decades. So in the end, who's saving money here? Excellent question. (laughs) We don't know yet. I'm sure when it comes to this drug, a lot of people are wondering, you know, this is a pricey drug to begin with. And what benefit are the patients going to get out of this? And it's unclear. It depends on how many of these biosimilars get picked up on the formularies, the extent to which they are or aren't preferred compared to Humira, the the brand that's still out there, because the maker of Humira can still negotiate with PBMs to ensure that it's covered in some way through a variety of practices that tend to involve rebates. It's also going to depend on the extent to which providers decide to either switch their patients onto the biosimilar or prescribe biosimilars to patients who are just newly beginning this anti-inflammatory therapy. There's some concern out there among some provider and patient groups about the extent to which they might be forced in some way or strongly urged to switch their patients to a biosimilar when they're not sure that they want their patient to do that because they've been taking this one treatment for so long. It's something that hasn't had any competition in two decades, and the people who use it are very acclimated to that. So besides the whole maze that is how prescription drugs are covered or not covered by an insurance plan, there's also the question of will doctors and patients actually want to take these biosimilars? Among the industry and others who watch the space, you know, they expect that, yes, there will be decent uptake of this. It's just not going to be immediate. That's so interesting. Well, thank you so much again for joining us today, Lauren. Thanks for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese and Afra Abdullah are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Amund is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Megan Messerly. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.